0: Oh, good afternoon. Welcome to our afternoon service. So glad that you're able to be with us. We're in John three sixteen, John three sixteen and seventeen. But John three sixteen. Well, Tim Tebow, maybe a name that's not familiar to you, was an um, it is an American football star, a famous one. He more recently maybe known to some of you, he spoke at Ravi Zacharias's memorial service. Um, but he was most famous for wearing eye strips when he played professional football that had John's 3.16 underneath his eyes, on his cheekbones. The best burger in the world, that's beef burger, is to be found in California. And I can testify personally to the truth of what I just said. In and Out burger, it's called. In and Out, they put John three sixteen at the bottom of their cups. Forever Twenty One is a retail shop in the States, but also in this country. It's an online shop. Forever Twenty One puts John three sixteen on their shopping bags. John three sixteen is Likely to be the most famous Bible verse in the world. It is the most searched for verse on the Internet. It is the verse that every Christian knows and most non-Christians have heard of. And this afternoon, we come to it in our study of John's gospel. Some passages are really hard to understand, as we looked at last week. Um, That's what Peter says about Paul. And probably Paul probably would have said it about Peter when it came to one Peter 3.18. But then there are some other obscure passages that take a lot of explaining, somewhere in the bowels of Ezekiel. But then other passages are so familiar, that so common, that when we come to them, we think that we know exactly what they have to say. John 3.16 is one of those passages. Let's read it together. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We know it well, we know it from childhood. The authorised version is probably known more familiarly to us all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. They're undoubtedly some of the most famous words in the history of the world. And as famous words, they're familiar to most of us and probably too familiar. Because when you come to John 3.16, you may be thinking, I've known this since I was a child. And someone else is saying, yes, I've known this since I was a child. John 3.16, and it's easy to tune out when we come familiar passages, but I want to point out to you this afternoon two surprising words, and maybe even when you grasp them, we will think they're shocking words here in John three sixteen. If we really grasp, understand what them, what they mean, and what they're meant to convey, just listen again to the words of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him. Should not perish but have everlasting life. Did you pick up those two words? The words that began with W. I'll just pause for a moment to give you a chance to think about that. Two words that begin with W. World and whoever. They're surprising words and shocking words. And I wonder if you have moved from one category to the other. Let's look at the first word, world, the Greek word cosmos. What is shocking is that God loved the world. The world can mean, the word world means a number of different things in the New Testament and in John's Gospel, of course. When we hear world here, it's not so much a reference to the universe, but to the created order, men and women in rebellion against the Creator God. We talk about the world and we often think this is my father's world, which is one sense of using the word. O oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, the rocks, the hills, the fells, the lake, the trees, he made it all. He is the creator. But this is the world against God. This is the world in opposition to God's fallen humanity. We can see that if you just. Do a little bit of a survey through John's gospel. John 1 verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Or John 7 verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. The world does what is evil, the world hates Christ. Or John 14 verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because It neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The world doesn't see him. The world doesn't know him. The world does not receive him. Or John 14, verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. There is a ruler of the world. So the world is a place that hates God, does what is evil and has the devil for its ruler. 15 John 15 18 if the world hates you know that it has hated me before it hated you we'll jump over to John 16 verse 19 uh, Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him so he said to them is this what you were asking um, yourselves what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me truly truly i say to you you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy get a sense for the world the world in the gospels and john refers not so much to the world in its bigness and beauty as it does to the world in its badness the world is that place did you hear what Jesus said? It's the place. The world hates the disciples. The, the world hated Christ. The world does what is evil. The world cannot see the spirit. The world does not receive the spirit. The world is fallen humanity in implacable opposition to its creator. That is the world. And God loved the world. Think about it. The world hated Christ. That is what the Bible says. Well, you may say, well, I don't really like this idea much. It's so negative. It's not very much in line with the 21st century. This is so negative. You're telling us that the world hates God. What are you, some fire and brimstone preacher? I'm just trying to be a biblical preacher because this is what the Bible says. Jesus says the world, if it hates you, know that it hated God. Jesus first. What is your response when somebody hates you, despises you, puts you down? Maybe you have a number of thoughts go through your head. One can be, don't pay any attention to them. I don't care what they think. Why can't they find something better to do? I hope they get what is coming to them. But you don't have as your first instinctive thought, I love them. The world may think that it is merely indifferent to Christ. The world may even think it is positively for Christ. But what is it to really hate? It means, I wish you would go away. I wish you would disappear. I wish you would be out of my life. I hate you. The world hates God. Now, this is not to say that you may not have very nice neighbours if you are not A Christian, you might be a very pleasant person to be around. Some of the nicest people I know don't claim to be Christian. You might be more pleasant than some of the Christians we know. I'm sure that's the case. But it is still the case that if you're lost in sin, you hate God. You see, do you want God in your life? Do you want God telling you what to do? Do you want Christ and his word commanding you? how you should live. No. So though we may be mature enough and socialised enough not to raise our fists and say, I hate you, God, that is how we stand in relationship to Christ. The world hates Christ. Christ made the world. All things were made through him. He came into the world and the world said, we don't want you. You know how you feel as a parent when you do all sorts of things for your children? You buy a great birthday present. You throw a great birthday party. And then the child just complains about all the things they didn't get. And you want to sit down and say, okay, you're going to get a dad lecture. Do you know how much this cost me? And then if you get a mum lecture, that is Do you know how hard it was for me to give birth to you? You want the child to know how much has been done for them. And that is just from our perspective as sinful parents. This is the God of the universe. Helps you, maybe we can't help but think of the prodigal son. Hey dad, thanks for everything. Wish you were dead. I'll take my inheritance now. And then the father, though he was a long way off, would run to his son. That's love. It is hard for us to love people that are not lovely. To love people that do not love us. Jesus said, if you love people just like you, if you love people just the same as you, that look like you, come from where you came from, vote the same way you vote, support the same football team as you do, Do all the things that you do. Anyone can do that. But can you love the people who are not like you? Can you love the people who hurt you? Can you love the people that stand for things you don't stand for and do things they should not do? That's harder. The world hated Christ. The world stood and stands in opposition to God. And it says, for God so loved the world." We can understand that God so loved his children. We can even understand God so loved his wayward children. But he loved the world. And if that were not enough, that God loved the world, it's even more shocking how God loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't only love, he acted. And what a gift. His son, there is no greater gift. It's not like the gifts that we give. God has given what is best, precious, costly, his only begotten son. You remember the Greek word for begotten, only begotten, monogenes, his only proper offspring, the only begotten one. And that is by this act of eternal generation, whereby the divine essence communicated from the father to the son, not created, eternally begotten, the eternally begotten one, God's son. And you can't help but think of Abraham. Genesis 22, foreshadowing what God would later do. God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God, all eternal, God, all wise, as he was asking Abraham to do this, God, together with the son, had already purposed to do the same thing, to give his son, his only son, the one whom he loved. But for God's son, there would be no ram in the thicket at the eleventh hour to say, Isaac, my son, you are saved. But God's son would be put to death. Love is measured by the greatness of the gift and by the cost to the giver. Remember the two verses just before we looked at them last Lord's Day afternoon, John 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What did Moses give? Well, Moses gave salvation to the people by lifting up a bronze serpent in the wilderness. That was a gift. But it was no gift compared to what God the Father gave. This isn't only a greater gift. It is the greatest gift that God could give. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the son whom he loved. And then look at verse 17. God sent his son. And sent is the word here, a apest, which is to send, from which we get the word apostles, the sent ones. And this word epistilum, which means sent or send, is the same word in English that connects to the Latin word for mission, Meteria, to send out. It's sometimes said that the word mission is not in the Bible, which is true if you read your English Bible, but the word that has the same English translation, the same English definition is in this Greek word, apostylon. Mission comes from a Latin word. Apostylon is the Greek word. It means to send out, be sent out, which is what mission means, to be sent out, to be sent. Mission in the Bible The mission that forms the basis of all the mission we do is the mission that the Father sent the Son. What is the greatest missionary enterprise in the history of the world? Who was the greatest missionary sent out? Jesus Christ, sent from the Father into the world. That is the mission that precedes all mission the sending of the Son by the Father. And what did the Father send the Son to accomplish? He sent the son to save sinners by means of the death of the son, his death and resurrection. So therefore, what is our mission as the church to save sinners by bearing witness, by pointing to the son, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection. We are not the ones who must die and be raised again. We are not Christ's, but we bear witness to Christ. So our mission is intimately connected to this mission that the father sent the son. And notice what it says in verse 17, that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. There are plenty of places in the Bible that the Bible speaks of Christ judging, that he will come back to judge the living and the dead. John says several times that Christ will act as a judge but that is not the purpose for which he was sent. In other words, the father did not say that the world is completely out of hand. I'm sending my son to take care of them. He said, the world is completely out of hand. I'm sending my son to save them. Now, many would reject him. Many still do. And for them, they will find Christ not to be a savior, but judge. But that is not the purpose for which Christ was sent into the world. Just like when you see shadows at noon, you don't blame the sun. We wouldn't have the light, we wouldn't have the warmth without the sun, but a tree casts a shadow. So God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. I read John three sixteen thousands of times and it hit me again, reading verse 17, he sent his son into the world not to condemn it. If you were watching this unfold like a film, we'd be so excited. We'd be ready to say the world is going to get it. They've been mocking, they've been spitting. Here it comes. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send his son into the world with a gun and a rocket launcher and ninja powers and a lightsaber. He sent his son into the world, the world that hated God, but he loved the world and he sent them his son. They'd rejected the prophets before him. He sent his son and they made it work. They mistreated him all the more. Oh, do you see how the whole plan of redemption is rooted in love? Love among the father, son and spirit in the covenant of redemption. The eternal plan purposed among the Trinity to give to the son a people and the son agreeing to be the sent one from the father to save sinful humanity. The whole plan of redemption is rooted in love, the love of the Father, Son and Spirit and the love of God for the world. This is the only place where God the Father is said to love the world. The origination of divine deliverance is found in God's love, not in your loveliness or mine. It's amazing how people get this so twisted. You do not hear Good Friday sermons about you are this diamond in the rough or how much you were or how God saw huge potential in you. No, the origination of the plan was not that God looked down and said, there are some lovely people, that one, that one, not her, not him, that family, they make good decisions, them, 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 them. Oh, I like them, I like what they wear. Oh, they've got a nice house. No, it originated in God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did not send the Son into the world to make God the Father more loving. He sent the Son because he already loved. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. He sent his Son to be the propitiation, the turning away of the wrath of God's sacrifice for our sins. God so loved the world. And then the second word, whosoever, whoever. God sent his son, he gave his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no passage in the Jewish literature of the time in which God is described as loving the world. There is a lot of talk about God loving his people, God loving Israel, God loving the Jewish people. But this was a new idea. If you remember when Jesus comes to Nicodemus, he says you must be born again by water and spirit or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is surely hearing kingdom of God in nationalistic language. He's saying that is right. The kingdom that the Messiah is going to set up is going to get the Romans off our back. We're going to be kings again and we're going to rule as Israel. We're going to have power. He is going to reign and I'm going to be part of the earthly kingdom, me and my fellow Israelites. That is not what Jesus meant. So much of the Jewish literature of the time focused on the vindication of Israel, the destruction of the enemies of Israel, the Gentiles. And here is John's gospel recording that whosoever, everyone without distinction, without exception, everyone who believes in the son can and will be saved. Whoever is a surprising word, and it is as surprising as God loved the world. God loved the Israelites, so when his people repent, they will be saved. We get that. God loves his people. We get that, but he loved the world. So to put it into our context, we would be used to saying that God so loved the church. God so loved the church. Sometimes church people sin and he wants anyone in the church who wants to come to be they can be saved. That's too small a thing for God, for God so loved the world. Not the, world, the way the world understands love as unconditional affirmation. Go and do whatever you want to do and be happy. None of us love our children like that. Children want to take a bath with toasters? Hey, whatever, I love you. You don't do that. You want to play in the middle of the road, the A66? That's not love, that's not what he means when he says he loved the world. That he just said whatever you want to do world. No, he loved the world so much that he gave so that whoever. Oh, is that a sweet word to you, whoever? We live in an age of identity politics, people on the right and on the left. You have to secure your base, mobilize your tribe, You play off grievances, one group off against another. We're not used to a word like whoever. The Bible doesn't say that God sent his son, gave his son, so that white people could come to him, or that minorities could come to him, or that men could come to him, or that women could come to him, or that Britons could come to him, or that he gave his son that middle class people should come to him, or that the poor people should come. Or that people who had already cleaned up their lives should come. Or that the people who listen to our music. Or the people who share our hobbies. Or the people who have been to church their whole lives. The people who look really good. Or he sent his son for the hip people. The people who eat the right food. The people who listen to the right bands. The people who stream the right TV shows. It doesn't say he sent his son for the smart people the beautiful people, the academics, the conservative people, the progressive people, it says whoever, and that means it could be you. It can be anyone. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say everyone will have eternal life. It does not say that only special someones will have eternal life. It says whoever. That means it is not everyone but it's not just a special tribe somewhere, it is whoever. Whoever will be in this category of those who believe in him, who believe in the Son, are you a part of the whoever? Have you ever really said to God, I'm a part of this world, I am this world that left to myself would reject you, would hate you? I do things every day I do not want to do and the things I do not want to do, I do. I am a sinner and your son is the Christ. I am who he says I am and he is who he says he is and I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need a saviour. So this is what I want to leave you with. John 3.16. Two things I want you to do when you next see or hear John 3.16. First of all, pray for someone. Pray for someone, maybe do it out loud, but probably in your head right there. Pray for someone that you know in your life who doesn't know this is true. Maybe they know it, but they do not know that it is true for them. So stop John 3.16 and pray for that person, that they would know John 3.16 and believe it. And the second thing, think to yourself just for a moment. Have I moved from one W to the next? From the world to whoever? We're born into sin. We don't have to work at that. We are the world. The world is in us. Have I moved from the world to whoever? And I don't know. Most sermons probably don't stick with us. But maybe for some time I would ask you, when you see John 3.16, you think of these two things. Who can I pray for? And am I in the whoever? Give thanks to God that he rescued you from the world and gave you the gift of faith to move you from the world to whoever. There is nothing more important in all your life that you move from the world to whoever. It is an invitation for whoever. He gives this invitation to move from the world to whoever. If you would repent, believe, and if you would say, even in a moment of weakness, I believe, help mine unbelief. I do. I do not want to perish. I want eternal life. Jesus is ready, willing, and I thank the Lord. He is able to save. May God bless the word. Amen.